0: Good morning. Glad to be here with you. i um, glad you guys are here today. Happy three-day weekend to those of you who have three days off. If you don't, it's okay. I'm sorry. You'll get time off another time, I'm sure. Um, but good morning. Um, this weekend, we are finishing up in our series called Best Supporting Actors, Lesser Known Characters um, in the Bible. As we have talked about the last few weeks, um, all of the characters that we've looked at have been in the Old Testament. And the, first, the Old Testament is the first three-fourths of the redemptive story of the Bible. It's before the ultimate redemption that Jesus brings. So we have to remember to look at everything through that lens. So in this series so far, we have looked at Ruth, Mordecai, Deborah, if you remember, Tamar, Bezalel, and Oholiab. I had never heard of them before. Rahab and Abigail. And today we come to our last character study in this series. Today we'll be looking at the life and leadership of Josiah, one of the kings of Israel. So, just a little overview the books of Kings and Chronicles um, record the history of the period of kings of Israel in the Old Testament. So we think of God as the ultimate king of Israel, but at the time, the Israelites desperately wanted a human king like the other nations around them had. So the people asked the prophet and judge Samuel, who we learned a little bit about um, in last week's sermon um, from Lou about Abigail. So they asked Samuel for a king, and God gave them a king. He listened to their request. He gave them a king named Saul. But Saul does not obey the Lord, so the kingdom is actually taken away from him and given to King David. Now, after David, it comes his son Solomon, who also, who who does not ultimately um, obey the Lord, although he does oversee the building of the temple where the Lord will be worshipped. So Saul, David, and Solomon's reigns could be described as kind of like the golden years of Israel's monarchy. But then, as we've seen before, trouble hits. Trouble really starts. So Solomon, he did some great things, but he didn't really end well, didn't obey the Lord. And his son um, Rehoboam began his kingdom and he, he began a pretty long line of bad kings. Under Rehoboam, the kingdom is divided by civil war. And most of the kings in the north and the south after that do evil. In the sight of the Lord, and do not lead Israel in the ways of the Lord. So, here's just a few examples of words and phrases used throughout this time period to describe the kings of Israel and their leadership. So, we've got words like unfaithful, witchcraft, sorcery, rebellion, rebellious kings, pagan religion. Somebody kills the royal family. There's no justice. There are abuses against the poor. Kings that take bribes, child sacrifice, worshiping of idols, and then over and over again, the words, did evil, this king did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So now eventually in the south, we have this divided kingdom, the north and the south. Eventually in the south comes King Hezekiah, who cleanses the temple, removes idols, trusts God, and renews the covenant with the Lord. But right after him, right after this period of renewal, comes Manasseh and then Amon. Now Manasseh builds more altars to other gods, allows child sacrifice and witchcraft, and allows idols in the temple. Manasseh is one of the worst kings. And then after Manasseh, his son Amon comes to power as king, and he does evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father has done he himself, Amon himself, sacrificed to and worshiped the images that his father had made. And then after Amon comes his son, Josiah. Now, before we get to Josiah, fast forward, um, and eventually the whole nation of Israel falls apart, and the temple that Solomon has built is destroyed. Another dark time for the people um, of Israel in the Old Testament. But thankfully, Spoiler alert, the Lord did not give up on his people. He had promised a heavenly king that would be far better than any of the earthly kings. The Messiah was prophesied to come through the line of David from the tribe of Judah in the southern kingdom, the southern line. Jesus came to do what no earthly king could do, save people from their sins by conquering sin with his death on the cross. But again, we haven't gotten there yet um, in Israel's history, And many kings that we saw did that phrase, what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. But there were a few kings that were good and godly leaders, and one of them was Josiah, who we're looking at today. So Amon, his father, is killed by his own servants, and his son Josiah becomes king. And Josiah, so Josiah is coming to power, coming to be a king, after his dad and his grandpa did a pretty particular bad job at this. Now, Josiah's reign is described in both Second Kings and Second Chronicles, and actually, if you look at them, they're very similar passages. Some of the paragraphs are actually word for word the same, but we're going to look at Second Chronicles um, today. So turn with me to 2 Chronicles um, chapter 34, and it should be on page 331 in the Bible, most of the Bibles in the pews. So again, turn to 2 Chronicles, chapter 34, towards the end of the book, page 331. So let's read together, starting in verse one, chapter 34. Now Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father David not turning aside to the right or to the left now again just to pause for a moment a vast majority of the kings did evil but josiah did right pretty amazing considering his predecessors and when it says followed after the ways of his father david that means his forefather david so back to verse three in the eighth year of his reign while he was still young he began to seek the god of his father David. In his twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles and idols. Under his direction, the altars of the Baals were torn down. He cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them and smashed the Asherah poles and the idols. These he broke to pieces and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priests on their altars, and so he purged Judah and Jerusalem. In the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali, and in the ruins around them, he tore down the altars and the asherah poles and crushed the idols to powder and cut to pieces all the incense altars throughout Israel. Then he went back to Jerusalem. So let's just pause again for a minute, just to make a little sense of all this. So Josiah begins um, this purge, or this getting rid of all of the idols in the land. So his grandfather Manasseh had gone as far as actually to establish a new idolatry of the goddess Asherah. That's where the Asherah poles come from. And then Baal, who was talked about, was the most important god in the Canaanite pantheon, a god of the other nations around the Israelites. So all these things, the Asherah poles, the Baals, the high places, the altars, the idols, the presence and worship of these things were all things that God had specifically said to the Israelites not to do. The first two commandments that God gave to Moses who communicated to the people were this, and they'll be on the slide. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. It's actually pretty clear instruction don't make an idol, don't have another God. And many times God's people were told specifically not to worship other gods or have idols. They couldn't say that they didn't know. They were doing exactly what they weren't supposed to do. And their leaders were modeling disobedience to the Lord. Now, there were some there were some really evil kings, like we talked about, who promoted idol worship, like Manasseh and Amon, um, Josiah's grandfather and father. And then there were some okay kings pretty good, not terrible kings, who tried to bring Israel back to the Lord to an extent. But these pretty good kings did not take the step of tearing things down like Josiah did. They still allowed idol worship to happen. But Josiah here we see is different. He really gets rid of stuff. It's described in that passage that we just read of he kind of like goes throughout the land of Israel to get rid of everything. It's a very thorough purge. So back to the passage, verse 8. In the 18th year of Josiah's reign, to purify the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, son of Azalea, and Maaseah, the ruler of the city, with Joah, son of Jehoaz, the recorder, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. So just a quick pause again. Josiah got rid of the idols, and now he's turning his attention to restoring worship at God's temple. No one had been taking care of the temple, and so it's fallen into disrepair. So, verse 9. They went to Hilkiah, the high priest, and gave him the money that had been brought into the temple of God, which the Levites, who were the gatekeepers, had collected from the people of Manasseh, Ephraim, and the entire remnant of Israel, and from all the people of Judah and Benjamin, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Then they entrusted it to the men appointed to supervise the work of the Lord's temple. These men paid the workers who repaired and restored the temple. They also gave money to the carpenters and builders to purchase dress stone and timber for joists and beams for the buildings that the kings of Judah had allowed to fall into ruin. The workers labored faithfully. Over them to direct them were Jehath and Obadiah, Levites descended from Merari, and Zechariah and Meshulam descended from Kohath. The Levites, all who were skilled in playing musical instruments, had charge of the laborers and supervised all the workers from job to job. Some of the Levites were secretaries, scribes, and gatekeepers. While they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. Hilkiah said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan. So, just to pause again, they're working to repair the temple, bring it back up to speed, make it look better, and apparently they find the original law of the Lord. It had been clearly disregarded for so long that no one actually knew where it was, or even that it was something that should be looked for. This actually says a lot about how far the people had drifted from the ways of the Lord. They didn't even know where the book was. Back to verse 16. Then Shaphan took the book to the king and reported to him, Your officials are doing everything that has been committed to them. They have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the supervisors and workers. Then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the Lord, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah, Ahikam son of Shaphan, Abdan son of Micah, Shaphan the secretary, and Asaiah the king's attendant. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the remnant in Israel and Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us because those who have gone before us have not kept the word of the Lord. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. So this is a longer story, we're gonna go ahead and skip ahead a bit, but verses 22 to 28 talk about specific things that the law said and that Josiah takes seriously, and that inquiry that he made about what does this mean, and what does this say, and there is a prophecy in there that says that because uh, Josiah has humbled himself, he himself will not see ruin in his lifetime. So let's pick it up again in verse 29. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord." The king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the lord to follow the lord and keep his commands statutes and decrees with all his heart and with all his soul and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book then he had everyone in jerusalem and benjamin pledged themselves to it the people of jerusalem did this in accordance with the covenant of god the god of their ancestors Josiah removed all the detestable idols from all the territory belonging to the Israelites, and he had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. As long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their ancestors. So we're going to end there. The story goes on. Um, But what we have here is a period of revival, And renewal spiritual renewal people following the lord here and his commands and their lives reflecting that they follow the lord with all their heart and their soul they obey his commands and revivals are these things that are always for seasons um, for periods of time and they start with the people of god turning from wickedness and fully obeying the words of the lord and commands of the lord The Israelites here renewed their covenant with the Lord thanks to Josiah's leadership. Now this passage is not like a blueprint for revival, do this and then this will happen. But we do know that turning from idols, repenting from sin and disobedience, and really submitting to God's word in every area of our lives can lead to revival and renewal. And this type of revival starts with God's people, just like we see with the Israelites. Revival and renewal is not just about the people out there, beyond these walls, coming to know the Lord. It starts, revival starts with us, the people of God, really coming to know God and allowing him to be the center of our lives and following his desires for our lives. And that's really the central idea of this passage that Josiah returned Israel to the Lord and brought spiritual revival and life and vitality to the land. Josiah returned the people to the Lord and brought revival. But there are a few other key themes that I want us to notice about this passage and look a little deeper at, but there's one thing that I want to frame how we look at this scripture today, and that is Josiah's young age. Probably stood out to you maybe when we read this together how young Josiah was when he became king. He was only eight years old. The passage starts with that. If you look back at verse one again, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. In his twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles and idols. So again, Josiah began to rule Israel when he was only eight and is described as doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Not turning to the right or to the left means fully obeying God's laws. And then when he's 16, we see that he, quote, began to seek the God of his father, David. Now, we don't know exactly what Josiah did between the ages of 8 and 16, but it's pretty clear that his entire reign was marked by doing the right things. That's what we're told. As a young person, he followed the Lord, even when others around him were not doing so. So, I'm curious today, who are the 8 to 16, 18-year-olds with us today? I'd love for you guys to just raise your hands. I know there's some of you here. I see a few around here. I see some people who don't want to put their hands up, but that's okay. I'm not going to make you say anything or do anything. I see one over there. I see some folks over here. Um, So yes, I just want to say that I am like super glad that you guys are here. Really glad that you guys are here with us. And this passage today is actually about someone like you. So I'm going, um, I want to actually speak to you guys for a few minutes. So the adults, you guys can listen in, but I really want to talk to the kids for a little bit, okay? The kids and the teens here. So um, I want to ask you guys, and again, you don't have to answer. You can just be thinking. You don't have to do anything. Um, What did we learn about Josiah when he was young? in this passage. What did he do, and how did he respond to the attitudes and actions of the people? So first, we can see, um, this will be on the screen, that Josiah seeks the Lord. Josiah was in the eighth year of his reign. He could be 15 or 16, depending on how you count, um, when he began to seek the Lord. Now, there are some things that you guys, as kids and teens, can't do when you're a kid because you're not an adult yet, right? You can't drive, you can't vote yet, but what can you do? There is no age restriction on seeking the Lord. Absolutely no age restriction on seeking God. So, and what is seeking God? Seeking God is just simply, you guys, it's just simply looking, um, the habit of looking for God in every situation. And Josiah began this spiritual journey when he was young, like you. So you young people here, you can begin or keep seeking the Lord when you're young too. And so what does that mean? What does that mean for you guys who are 8, 10, 16, 18? Um, What does it mean to seek the Lord as a young person? You know what, you guys? It's actually the same thing that adults do. Reading your Bible or asking someone to read it to you Asking God to help you be nice to people throughout your day. Praying for a friend who's sick or who's sad. Trying to remember that Jesus is with you throughout the day. Offering you courage, compassion, and care when you need it. All of these things, these are actually just what adults do to seek the Lord. Because remember, there is no age restriction in seeking God. So, what else does Josiah do? Josiah makes big changes. The eighth year of Josiah's time as king, again, when he was 15 or 16, is described because that's the age when he could govern without advisors anymore. Unlike when he was a kid, he could do what he wants. And what did he do first? He decided to follow after God. And then, because of that, he made some big changes. When his dad was king, all the people did bad things and worshiped other gods, but Josiah began to seek God and then made some big changes. Like we talked about when we were reading the passage, Josiah went through all the land, he got rid of all the idols, um, all the statues that the people were worshiping. Now, he could have just told the people, he could have just sat on his throne and said, stop worshiping those, those other idols, those gods, you should just worship the one god but he went farther than that. He got off his throne and instead of just telling the people to stop, he helped them stop by taking away the things that they would be tempted to worship instead of God. So what does that mean for you guys who are kids, who are teens? What could making big changes mean for you? It could really mean just looking around with God's eyes, asking God to show you if there are things that he doesn't like that uh, that are around you and doing something about them. Maybe there are some kids at your school who are lonely. How could you be a friend to them? Or how could you help out a friend or a sibling or a parent who is struggling or sad this week? It could be as simple as that because that actually produces big changes in the world. And then third, Josiah reads God's word. The book and he repents. The book of the law was found, and when Josiah heard its words, he was even more convinced that the people were not following God's rules. So how can you guys who are young, you kids and teens, how can you be like Josiah here? You can read the Bible too. Ask your parent for a kids or a teen version of the Bible if you don't have one. And just take five to ten minutes a day to read from it. I know that some of you are supposed to read a certain number of minutes um, per night for your homework. So why not, why not read the Bible? It could be part of your homework. And I would say read a passage. And I'd say start in the New Testament. Um, and, and then just ask yourself, huh, what, is, what could God be saying to me? How could I be like Josiah after I read this passage? What can I do this day or this week to follow what God is saying here? And then finally, kids and teens, we see that Josiah renews the covenant. Now, renewing the covenant is just a fancy way or official way of saying that you're calling people back to the Lord. He calls them to renew their commitment to God. He says, come, follow the Lord with me. And that's still yet another thing that you guys as kids and teens can do. You can share who God is with your friends. You can show them what you're reading in your Bible. You can be a good friend to them like Jesus is to you. These are the things that you can do as a kid. You don't have to wait to be an adult to do them. And those of us who are adults need to make sure that we're not making kids wait until they're adults to do these things. Josiah did these things when he was young, and you kids and teens can do them too. So kids, there's another passage that I want to share with you. The Apostle Paul said this to one of his young leaders, one of the young Josiahs in his midst. In 1 Timothy, he said, Don't let anyone look down upon you because you are young but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Kids, teens, you are special to God, and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Even though you are young, you can follow God and be an example to others, like this passage says. Now, I also have to say this to you kids, that you do have to listen to your parents, so let me just share one more verse from Ephesians 6. It says, "Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for that is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and so that you may enjoy long life on earth." So yes, kids, teens, please do obey your parents, but you don't have to just wait around here until you're older to serve the Lord and follow after him. You are a part of the body of Christ in the church here, kids. And we need you to help us care for us in this building and outside of this building, for our neighbors outside. And some of you are already doing this, already doing these things. And there's just a few photos that Dan's gonna run through of some of the kids and teens in our church serving here and following after the Lord, serving alongside adults in some of our volunteer ministries and just following after the Lord. And I know there are more of you here. I know um, Lucas and Jacob, you guys are not in these pictures, but I know that you do a lot to help out as well. And I want just to say to you who are kids and teens here, we are just so glad that you are here and you're a very important part of this church family. So please, those of you who are kids and teens, come to any of the pastors or staff here and let them know what questions that you have or if you want to help out and be more involved. We are so glad that you are here. Okay, so I have talked to the kids for a while, and now I wanna talk to the adults, but hopefully you were still listening as I was talking, because those are for you, too. We can all follow after the Lord. But there's another thing that I wanna ask us adults. How can you, how can we, as adults, be an encouragement to the Josiahs in our midst? I wanna read a quote from a pastor from the UK who have actually had the privilege of hearing in person a few times. His name is Sam Alberry. This is a quote from his website, but I also heard him say this once too, and it's going to be up on the screen. The Apostle Paul repeatedly refers to the local church as the household of God. It is the family of God, and Christians are to be family to one another. Paul encourages Timothy to treat older men as fathers, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters. The church is to think of itself as immediate family. Nuclear families within the church need the input and involvement of the wider church family. They are not designed to be self-contained. Those that open up their family life to others find that it is a great two-way blessing. Single people get to experience some of the joys of family life, children get to benefit from the influence of other older Christians, Parents get to have the encouragement of others supporting them, and families as a whole get to learn something of what it means to serve and be outward-looking as a family. Parents aren't meant to be the only inputs into the lives of their children. I've heard Sam say, that's way too much pressure on parents. As a parent, I can agree with that wholeheartedly. Paul and I can't provide all of what our son needs on our own. Now, the protected nuclear families, it's actually a very Western American thing. Those of you from other cultures and countries know this, that here in the US, we are so focused on the nuclear family. But so many other cultures really live the saying, it takes a village to raise a child. That proverb, you've heard it before, it's attributed to African cultures. And in 2016, NPR decided to try to find the exact origins of that proverb. It takes a village to raise a child. The research, though, was unable to pinpoint that exact saying, but it did find a few more like it. In the Lunioro language, a proverb translates to English as, a child does not grow up only in a single home. In Kahaya, a child belongs not to one parent or home. And then in both Kijita and Swahili, there are proverbs, regardless of a child's biological parents, its upbringing belongs to the community. I think we as an American church can learn a lot from other cultures and how they treat caring for and bringing up children. Parents aren't meant to be the only inputs into the lives of their children. Again, that's way too much pressure for parents. I know that Paul and I are very grateful grateful for the numerous adults here who have been friends to us and to our son, Javiel. We could not be the parents that we are or have learned the little that we have about being a parent without the help of friends. We are especially grateful to our housemate, Dave Carney, who many of you know, who has been an amazing friend to our son and mentor to our son. Now, Dave has been me and Paul's friend um, for, and housemate for years. We've lived together for seven years, um, but we've known Dave longer than that. So when the time came for us to be parents, Paul and I said, we said to Dave, we're like, Dave, we understand if you want to find somewhere else to live, because it's probably going to get a little messier and louder and crazier here. But Dave said, nope, no way. I want in too. I'm in this with you guys and he sure has been. Our small nuclear family is so much richer because of Dave's, and many others of you here, um, involvement in our lives. Dave is part of our family, and and I think that Dave would agree that it's been a two-way blessing, like Sam said in that quote. Paul and I could go on for hours and hours about how Dave's involvement in our family has blessed us and blessed Javi. But I think Dave would say that he gets some pretty cool things out of it too. He gets a family while he's away from his own nuclear family, and he gets to be a part of Javi's growth and development and spiritual growth especially, and gets to experience some of the joys of family life as he helps us through the trials too. And this is us this past December doing the advent calendar, um, advent wreath together, lighting the first candle. We tried to get a little bit of a devotion in there. We got a little bit in there, um, but we had some fun. Now, King Josiah is the last character that we're looking at um, in this sermon series. Now, many of the people that we've looked at have been unlikely heroes. Now, Josiah is unlikely, yes, because of his age, but not just because of that, but because he was a kid that wasn't even raised to follow God. And the truth is, a vast majority of kids in our world here aren't raised to be godly. But even for those of us who are trying to help their kids know God, none of us have all of what it takes to do that. No parent has all of what it takes to raise a kid in the Lord. And those of you who don't have kids have so much to offer, and I'm a testament of that this past year. Paul and I can't do it ourselves, and we're grateful for the people who have been a part of our journey. I have two more photos to show. This next one is three of my favorite young Josiahs in the church, and yes, because one of them is my son. But I snapped this just last week during the last worship song we were singing together. We were all up in the balcony. And then I snapped this next one right after the service ended. Now, David Colton, who isn't blood-related to any of these boys, except that he is because we are all family of God together, David was inviting these three in and encouraging them to continue to have fun and be a part of worship and community in this place, which I'm very grateful for. So again, how can you adults, how can we be an encouragement to the Josiahs in our midst? As we come to the end of this sermon series, we remember that we've seen bright spots in these places that we've zoomed in on in the sometimes quite gritty Old Testament the last couple of months. We've seen unexpected people, women, and immigrants, and now a young king be key characters in the larger redemptive story of the Bible. But all of these characters that we looked at on, were on Earth before Jesus Christ came, and so, like we saw with many of them, including Josiah today, the renewal and redemption they brought as humans was actually short-lived. If we look back, if you look back at verse 33. Josiah removed all the detestable idols from all the territory belonging to the Israelites, and he had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. As long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their ancestors. But things went pretty poorly again, pretty quickly after Josiah's reign. Josiah's son Jehoahaz became king after Josiah's death, but Jehoahaz only lasted three months before he was dethroned by the king of Egypt. Jehoiakim became the next king, and one of the first things that he did was evil in the sight of the Lord. The Israelites returned to their evil ways led by their king. A good human king couldn't bring lasting redemption and revival because true redemption and revival and renewal is not possible without Jesus Christ. So let's read together from Isaiah 9, a prophecy about Jesus Christ who will come to redeem and renew the world. Let's read together. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Jesus Christ came to earth and conquered death. He still brings revival and renewal in places now. Who knows who could lead the way? It could be one of you who are 8 or 10 or 12 or 16 right now. You don't have to be old. You don't have to have a godly pedigree. Just have to seek the Lord. Read his word and follow his commands. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for godly leaders like young Josiah. God, I pray that you would help us all to seek you no matter what our ages or our spiritual pedigree today. God, thank you that you can renew us, you wanna use us to bring about revival in this city. God, I thank you especially for the young Josiahs here in our midst today. Would you especially encourage them, grow them, and bring mentors around them to bring them up in the Lord. Help us to be a church that helps young people grow and thrive in their faith. Amen.